Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, South Valley. How are you guys doing today? All right. Hey, I'm pretty encouraged. You know, the, the 1045, we're getting some more people in here. We saw some baptisms a few weeks ago. You guys are inviting your friends. That's super encouraging because 9 o'clock, by the way, 9 o'clock has been like full, full. We actually had to put extra chairs on the floor, so that was exciting. But we've been praying for 1045 in particular, and you guys are delivering. So, yeah, give yourselves a round of applause. You guys deserve it. Super encouraging. Uh, thank you again to our veterans. We thank you guys so much and appreciate you and, uh, and just, just want to honor you. Um, and it was awesome seeing our veterans at the 9 o'clock service as well. Thank you for your service. We, we love you guys. Um, my name is Ricky Hemme. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we are in week four of our sermon series, What Do You Know About Grace? And I hope you've enjoyed this series so far. I know that I've enjoyed it, just, just getting refreshed with Jesus' amazing grace. We're learning week after week that Jesus' grace is multifaceted. Are you guys seeing that? His, his grace heals. His grace saves. His grace satisfies. And today we're going to learn that Jesus' grace delivers. Okay, Jesus, what's so cool about his ministry is he was crossing cultural boundaries to deliver the gospel. He healed the crippled man, said, take up your bed and walk. He went and he, he pursued the, the woman who everyone else rejected. Remember the sinful woman, the prostitute. He, he saves her in public. Last week, he ministered to, to somebody that was deemed uh, off limits. And he publicly condemned racism by going across cultural barriers and ministering to a group of people that, that Jews would never talk to. The Samaritan woman, a, a serial divorcer. And so I hope you're seeing through this series that, that Jesus really has amazing, amazing grace. Well, last week was challenging because it forced us to take a look at the cracks in our armor. You guys remember that? It forced us to take a look at the cracks in our armor. The woman at the well serves as a reminder that Jesus sees the real you. He sees the real you. And the real you that I'm talking about is the, is the you that sometimes you like to hide. And, and there's no shame in that. We understand why we would hide our cracks. We're not a, we're, we're, we don't like to project our cracks to let people know about our weaknesses and our, and our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups. We like to hide those things. We hide behind our masks and we hide behind our walls and our social media profiles. But, but Jesus sees those things, those insecurities, those pains, the shame, the guilt, whatever it is, the things that have been weighing on you for a number of years or that you've kind of swept under the rug. He sees the real, real you. He cares. And, and when, when you hurt and when you're confused and when you're not feeling right, it, it hurts him as well. And so we, what we've learned about Jesus is that, that some of his best work happens in the cracks. Okay, Jesus didn't come to exploit the cracks in your life. He came to heal them. Jesus didn't come to tear open your wounds even further. 
He came to put balm on your wounds. Jesus didn't come to hurt you, but to help you. His his greatest work happens in those cracks, those things that that we often hide, and, and he invites us to actually bring those things to him. That takes courage and some bravery, but if we do it, we'll see healing, we'll see ourselves become stronger than we ever realized we could become because he makes us strong in the areas that we're weak. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Can I get an amen for that one? That's Jesus. His best work is done in the cracks. But do you know who else does their best work in the cracks? Satan. Jesus comes to heal the areas that are broken in you. Satan comes to shatter them even more. Jesus comes to strengthen what is weak in you. Satan sees that and wants to obliterate you through your weaknesses. Satan also does his best work in the cracks. Well, in today's passage, we're going to see just how brutal Satan can be towards human beings. Today's passage is about spiritual warfare. Because we're going to explore a passage about a man who was possessed by a, a host of demons. And and just a side note, before we open up the Bible and read the passage, I I just want to throw this out there. If you've ever thought to yourself that Satan was somebody that you'd want to party with one day, then you misunderstand Satan. Okay, Satan is not just a good time. Satan is not just one of the boys. Satan is not just somebody who, you know, what happens with Satan stays with Satan. Satan's a monster. He is a monster who will ravish your life. The Bible describes him as somebody who's only there to kill, steal, and destroy because he is a ruthless beast. We've been tempted at times to make light of Satan, to to party with Satan. Like he's he's just a guy wanting to have a good time. No, he doesn't want to just have a good time. He wants to destroy you. He wants to turn you into a monster. And you've seen examples of monsters in humanity. People going further and deeper and darker than you could have ever imagined. That's the work of Satan. Satan wants to turn you into a monster. And here's, here's the problem that we're going to see today. Once Satan has you in his clutches, it takes a miracle to get out. Please turn to Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, and let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning and for everyone in the room today. God, I pray that you'd give us wisdom. I pray that you'd give us sensitivity to your Holy Spirit. I pray that we wouldn't be afraid to talk about hard topics, be honest with ourselves and be honest with our experiences. I pray that we wouldn't put up walls, but that we'd actually be transparent with you. And so I just pray right now as we open your holy and perfect word that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Mark 5, you guys there? Mark 5, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. They, this is Jesus and his disciples, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, 
And no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So our passage today is a real-life, legitimate horror story. Okay, I probably should have preached this last week. Last Sunday was Halloween. This is like a perfect Halloween passage. Okay, this is a real-life horror scene. There's a graveyard. There's an army of demons. There's a howling, screaming, insane man with superhuman strength. And there's blood. Lots and lots of blood. This man was so tormented that he would cut his own flesh with stones in order to to feel something or to relieve himself of the torment. He He was hardly a human being. He was a monster. It's one of the most terrifying scenes in all of Scripture. You could read the Bible over and over. You're not going to find a more terrifying scene than this. This is, this is unique. This is a unique encounter in all of Scripture. One of the most terrifying things you'll ever read about in Scripture. Now, all in, in this series, we've learned about Jesus' love for all kinds of people. Do you guys believe that? Jesus loves all kinds of people? Amen. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter what culture you belong to. Jesus is for the nations. Jesus is for all people. Jesus welcomes all people. Okay, we've learned Jesus is for all people. But what about this guy? If anyone's too far gone, then this must be the the example of somebody being too far gone. At what point are you too far gone? At what point are you too lost? Are you too insane? Are you too broken? At what point are you too far gone? Okay, he's not wearing clothes. He's out of his mind. He's harassing a nearby community. He's more comfortable residing among the dead than the living. And people have already tried to to help this guy out, to subdue this guy. They've tried to lock him up. They put chains on him. He's breaking the chains. He has this superhuman strength. No one can neutralize him. And I just want to be honest with you guys and say this. Throughout this series, I have had genuine compassion for every person we've studied. Okay, I really felt for the crippled man. I I know what it's like to have crippling pain. Some of you also have experienced disease and and crippling pain in your life. And and it's it's hard. It's tormenting. it's, 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 It's a daily battle. I had compassion for that guy. I was so grateful for Jesus' healing in his life. I had compassion for the prostitute. I thought about her story and how did she get into this mess? There's no doubt she probably didn't want to sign up for this. And I had this compassion. My heart broke for her. I had compassion for the serial divorcer. Five times she divorced. She's on marriage number six. My family's gone through three divorces on each side. So I I had compassion for this woman. And, And not me personally, but my parents have gone through three divorces on each side. I had compassion for this person. But this guy, this guy... I wouldn't have gone close to the graveyard. Okay, I wouldn't have said, hey, South Valley, there's a crazy man in the tombs over there. Let's go and get him. I would have avoided the graveyard at all costs. I'm just being honest with you. But what did Jesus do? Jesus crossed a lake, a body of water for one man. And you know what's crazy? On that 
crossing of the, the Sea of Galilee, that's where there was that big storm that happened. And remember, Jesus is sleeping and the disciples are freaking out like, Jesus, we're about to go underwater here. The boat's sinking and Jesus gets up and he silences the storm. So there's all this drama as they're trying to get over across the sea. They get out of the boat to meet this guy. The disciples are probably like, wait, what? This is our ministry? This is, this is what you put, us all, you put us through this for this guy? Jesus gets out the boat to meet this guy. Now, why was this man so volatile? Why was he so crazy? Well, we read that he was a man with an unclean spirit. He was demon-possessed. And he wasn't just possessed by one demon. He was possessed by a host of demons. Thousands of demons. He was was held against his will. Now, before going any further, I think we need to back up a little bit and give a little theology of demons. Okay, we call it demonology. I, I wish there was more like a cooler term for it than that. But let's talk about a theology for demons. You guys like learning this kind of stuff? Let's talk about a theology for demons. The first question I want to answer really quick, just so we're on the same page, is this. What are demons? What are they? Here's a definition. Demons are fallen angels. Okay, so a third of the angels were cast to the earth because they rebelled against God, right? A third. And there's millions and millions of angels. Uh, Demons are fallen angels, divinely created supernatural beings who, under the leadership of Satan, rebelled against God. That's what demons are. Now, demons in the Bible, they go by a number of names. They're they're referred to as evil spirits, unclean spirits, lying spirits, powers and authorities. As angels, they were originally created to worship and serve God. But as demons, they've chosen a different master, Satan, also known as the prince of demons. Now, the exact number of demons, we don't know. But we could guess that there are likely millions because in Revelation, the scene is of millions and millions and millions, incalculable calculable number of angels. Second question is this, what do demons do? What do demons do? Well, the ultimate goal of a demon is to destroy your life. They want to erase the image of God in you, which is what they almost did to this man. This man was more monster than human. This man was living out hell on earth. No sleep, constant pain, no friends, no clothes, no relief. He gashed his flesh with rocks in order to relieve himself of the bad feelings, but nothing helped. Okay, demons want to destroy your life. If you ever thought lightly of demons, that demons were things to play with or joke about. Demons want to destroy you. They want to destroy your life. And this man was so infested that he became more monster than man. And there are three primary ways that demons attack people. The first is deceit. The second is torment. And the third is possession. Now, I'm going to look at each one really quickly. The first is deceit. Now, deceit is the first and most common form of demonic attack. That's the most common form that we see. So we don't see in culture, we don't see a lot of demonic possession. But you know what we do see a lot of? Deceit. A lot of lying. Look at these passages. Colossians says this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit 
according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. First Timothy. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. What I want you to see here is this. A demon doesn't need to possess you if he can, if he can deceive you. Okay, if, if the demon can deceive you, he doesn't need to torment you or possess you. You're already trapped. If, if you call evil good and good evil, then Satan is already winning. And so Satan's primary way of moving, the demon's primary way of moving and in, in, in attacking human beings, it's, it's subtle. It's, it's through lies. It's through false narratives. It's through, it's through coming into culture and spinning webs out there that, that pull people away from God. Okay? If, if, you're, if you're trapped in deceit, then you don't need anything else. You, you're already lost. Now, we see a lot of lying in our culture today. Would you guys agree? This is a confusing time that we live in. Depending on what magazine or newspaper or news station you turn on, you get one version of the truth versus another version of the truth. The universities have their version of the truth. Social media fact checker, checkers have their version of the truth. There's, there's all kinds of versions of the truth out there. Why? Because we are in the middle of a truth war. I don't know if you guys notice it or not, but we're in the middle of a truth war. And, and a lot of the truth war is, is actually geared at the church and what the church stands for and what Christians stand for. But we, you and I, we are in the middle of a truth war. And everywhere we look, we get different messages about what is true. Everybody's competing for what is true. And everybody has their own version of what is true. And so what what does that do to people? Where does that leave us? It leaves us paralyzed and confused. And so if you want to begin to see the truth in the midst of all the chaos... If you want to be able to uncover the truth in the midst of some of the lies, even the subtle lies that you might come across in culture, you know what you got to be good at? You need to be good at understanding your Bible. That's where we find the truth. When you know the word well, you can spot the truth well. When you know the word well, you can spot the lies well. Okay, the time for Christians to be biblically illiterate for, for decades in, in, in America, Christians were very biblically illiterate. Okay, they just relied on what a pastor said and they never really opened their Bible on their own. They never read the Bible cover to cover. They never studied on their own. They just would get an hour of, you know, a shot in the arm on a Sunday and then they carry on. Those days are long gone. That's not enough anymore. You need daily time in the Word. Because if you don't have daily time in the Word where you are hearing from the the Word of God and seeing the truth for yourself, then you'll never be able to spot the truth out out in the culture because you're going to be bombarded by so many narratives. Which one do you embrace? Which one do you accept? You guys remember this book when you were kids? Where's Waldo? Anybody ever do Where's Waldo puzzles? This is a really crazy Where's Waldo scene. I used to love this book when I was a kid. I'd pull these open and, and I'd spend hours looking for Waldo. And it's, re- it's really cool because they get harder and harder. Sometimes you have an easy one where it's easy to find Waldo and his, his glasses and his striped shirt. Other times, though, you get one like this and it's just like, oh my goodness. And you could spend hours 
looking for him. But here's the thing. The more I did this as a kid, the more Where's Waldo things I, I practiced, uh, the, the quicker I was at spotting him in the book, spotting him on the page. That's true with the word. You see, right now the world looks like this, guys. That's how the world looks. You guys have so many messages coming your way. And not all of it's bad. I'm not trying to stand here and say everything you hear is bad. Everything you hear must be questioned. I'm not trying to say that at all. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of truth. But here's the thing. Can you spot the truth and the lie? Can you spot it? The only way to be able to spot the truth is to know the word. When you get good at the word, you get good at recognizing truth. You get good at recognizing lies. And sometimes lies are super subtle. Sometimes deceit is super subtle. It's as subtle as making a good thing sound like a bad thing or making a bad thing sound like a good thing. Um, I'll give you an example. So I'm kind of ashamed of this. Yesterday, I, I kind of deceived my son, John, okay? He's, he's five years old. I took John to get a donut from this donut place down the street. I just got him a new video game. He got a new Mario video game. He's super excited to play it. And he's like, Dad, I want to play Mario for two hours today. And I'm like, dude, you cannot play a video game for two hours. That's way too long. And he's like, but I want to, it's new. I want to play it. I'm like thinking about it. Like, well, I need to let him play. I'm like, how about this, Johnny? You can either play it for 90 minutes or you can play it for two hours. He's like, I'll play it for 90 minutes then. I'm like, yes. Okay. <laughs> I let him play for two hours because I felt bad. But here's the thing. Johnny thought, well, 90 is bigger than two, so 90 must be better than two. That's how subtle deceit can be. Where you can, you can embrace something that's, you could, you could leave the good for, for something worse and think it's actually better. Well, a demon doesn't need to possess you if he can deceive you. And Satan's deceit is subtle because it's disguised as a good thing. He's, he's a monster who masquerades as an angel of light. And the reason that the demoniac episode is so rare is because this, this episode that we're looking at is not Satan's go-to form of attack. He'd rather disguise himself in a suit and tie. Okay, he's, he's more interested in infiltrating churches or in, infiltrating schools or getting in the pews or even getting behind a pulpit. He'd rather infiltrate something and hide behind a suit and a tie and a clean appearance than actually do what he's doing in this story of the demoniac. So the only way, though, to combat the lies, to combat his tricks, is to know the truth. And the place where we find the truth is the Bible. Jesus says, your word is truth. The Bible is the foundation of truth, and the Bible points us to the person of truth. Jesus says, I am the way and the what? And the truth and the life. Do you know your Bible? The second common way that demons attack human beings is through torment. And I'm just going to hit this really quickly. We won't spend a lot of time, but in the Old Testament and New Testament, we see lots of examples of demonic torment. 1 Samuel says that King Saul was frequently tormented by an unclean spirit that caused him not to feel well and to be jealous of David. During Jesus' ministry, he often met people who were sick or violent or, or ill because of demonic torment. Look at this in Luke. It said people from all over came to hear Jesus and be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. The, the Greek term for troubled there means to be continually harassed or tormented. Okay, even the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 was harassed by demons. Okay, it's not uncommon for Christians to be spiritually 
harassed. I was talking to somebody last week who during this sermon series, he's been feeling the need to like address the cracks in his armor. And he said, as soon as I start addressing these things in my life and I I own up to these things and try to heal and try to grow, I feel like I take a few steps forward and boom, I I get attacked. And I said, you know what? Welcome to the Christian life. If you want to take steps of growth, if you want to address the cracks in your life, if you want to mature and develop into who God wants you to be, this is what's going to happen. You're going to take steps of growth. You're going to see a little bit of progress. And then, boom, you're going to get punched in the face. You know why you're going to get punched in the face? Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Look at Ephesians 6. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If you are a Christian, you are in the middle of a fight, a real war. Sometimes that war is raging. Sometimes that war is not too bad. But if you are at a crossroads in your life today, where you are, God is calling you to do something new, to step out in faith, to address something in your life, to take on a new ministry, to be bold and courageous, whatever it is. If you're at a crossroads, I just want you to know, the moment you take a step towards God in a direction that is, that is scary and, and, and crazy and, and just a, a place of faith, the moment you take a step is the moment you are going to get punched in the mouth. And here's the thing, Jesus invites you to fight back. You guys don't sound like a bunch of fighters right now. This is real real stuff we're talking about here. He invites you to fight back for your family. To fight back for your life. To fight back for your kids. to, To fight back. He doesn't tell you to surrender and lay down. He invites you to fight back. Well, in this passage. This guy wasn't just deceived. This guy wasn't just tormented. Things that you and I might experience here and there. This guy was possessed. What does Jesus do when somebody is possessed? Is there any hope for somebody like this? Matthew 5, 6. Look at the rest of the story. When Jesus saw him from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. And crying with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. What do we learn about this through this exorcism? We talked about deceit. We talked about torment. We talked about the fact that another way Satan works and demons work is, work is possession. What does this passage teach us about Jesus? What does this passage teach us about darkness? It teaches us this. Dark powers must bow to Jesus. 
dark powers must bow to Jesus. Whatever dark thing you've had to deal with has to bow to Jesus. Whatever struggle you've dealt with that's felt too big and mighty and powerful for you, it has to bow to Jesus. When this man saw Jesus, although he was filled with thousands of demons, okay, a legion of demons is six, a legion is a Roman term meaning 6,000, okay, 6,000, thousands of demons. When this man saw Jesus, he ran towards Jesus, and what did he do? He bowed at Jesus's feet. And Mark uses a really interesting term in this description of what happened. It's the Greek term proskuneo. And proskuneo is an important word because it's something we do every Sunday. Proskuneo means to worship. The demon-possessed man saw Jesus bowed at his feet and worshiped. Why would a host of demons honor Jesus? Because demons know the truth. Demons have orthodox theology. Okay, when, when demons see the Where's Waldo thing, they know the truth and they know the lies. They, they, they recognized when, this, when Jesus got out of his boat that day and landed on, on the shore there, they recognized somebody that they had known for thousands of years. His name was Jesus. Jesus is the eternal son of God. And when they saw Jesus, no matter how strong they were, powerful they were, the power they had over this man, the fear that they in, in, inflicted on the, the nearby community, when they saw Jesus, they trembled, they panicked, because even demons believe in God. But what do we learn? They believe in God and they what? They shudder. They believe in God and shudder. So what do the demons do? Well, the demon begged for mercy. Jesus asked him, what's your name? He replied, my name's Legion. Okay, it means 6,000. This guy had thousands of demons, for we're many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Jesus, don't send us away. Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. Now, like I said, a legion is 6,000. So this wasn't just one demon. It's an army of demons. And the, and the demons in the story, they didn't want to be sent out of the country. So they requested that Jesus send them into nearby pigs. And, and what I want you to see here is this. When, when dark forces are in the presence of Jesus... The dark forces have to ask for permission. Well, Jesus heard their request. He wasn't going to let them wreak havoc on this man anymore. He wasn't going to let them wreak havoc on this region anymore. These demons longed for some kind of physical host. And so what happened is that they were sent out into the most unclean animal of all, the pig. Okay, so for Jews, pigs were the worst things in the world uh, I'm glad I'm not Jewish because I sure love pigs. But, and lots of bacon and more bacon on top of bacon. And bacon maple donuts, okay? There's a place down the road that, that makes those. If you haven't had one, you, you, you need to repent of your sins and go get one, okay? <laughs> Jesus sent the Spirit into these, these pigs. Now, when, when I hear that, my, and, and the pigs, they were so harassed when the, when the pigs were possessed by these spirits they were so harassed they were so terrified that what did they do they jumped off the cliffs and drowned themselves i want you to see that that's what demons want to do to you that's what demons want to do to us to torment to destroy to erase the image of god in us satan is violent he's not your friend 
He's not a fun guy to party with. He's a monster who wants to create monsters. And his most common way of trapping is through deceit. If deceit doesn't work, then he'll bug you with torment. And if torment doesn't work, in rare, rare occasions, we see examples like this of possession, where people are held against their will and they're trapped, and it takes a miracle to get out. Well, I often wonder why Jesus gave the request and allowed these pigs, delicious pigs, to jump off the cliff and into the water. Like, man, why send them in like some, I don't know, some rabbits or something. I don't know. Maybe that'd be scary though, right? Some demon-possessed rabbits. Why did he do this? Why did he allow them to do that? Well, I think the reason he allowed them to inhabit the pigs was so that the townspeople could know with certainty that this man was truly delivered. You see, for years, this guy had been howling on the mountains, harassing others, tormenting not only, he was tormented not only himself, but tormenting others. And so Jesus wanted a public sign that this man was in fact delivered. And so the people could see this man is no longer possessed because whatever was living in him now lived in those pigs and the pigs are no more. Okay, we've, we've seen in this series that true encounters with Jesus, true salvation, life-changing encounters always produce some kind of outward sign. Okay, one way you could know whether or not for sure today you are saved is that there's an outward sign of salvation. There has been an outward change in your life. You're not the same person you were before you met Jesus. Okay, this man met Jesus and he didn't leave demon-possessed. He met Jesus and he left clothed and in his right mind. When you met Jesus, if you really met him, you've really been saved, you've really been redeemed, then you don't leave the same person you were when you met him. You leave changed. There's an outward sign. I think Jesus allowed this to happen as an outward sign to everybody watching. This man is saved. Well, although the man was delivered, look at how the community responded in conclusion. Look how the community responded. Said the herdsmen fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat, And as as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might go with him. And he did not permit him, but said, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that's a region of 10 cities, in the 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. The story ends like this. The town sees the man delivered. The town sees the power of Jesus. And when they are confronted with the power of Jesus, they come to this conclusion. You know what? We're more afraid of Jesus than the demoniac. And so we'll keep the demoniac, but Jesus, you're not welcome here. And so they make Jesus leave. And Jesus gets his guys, hops in the boat, and he leaves. He crossed the water for one man. 
He crossed the sea for one guy that no one would touch, no one would talk to, no one would ever approach, everyone hated, thought he was out of his mind, way too far gone. Jesus crossed the sea for one man. The town saw it. The town was frightened. We don't know if they were frightened because they were afraid of what Jesus would do to them. Okay, this was a godless area, okay, the Decapolis. This was a Gentile region. So they were probably afraid of what Jesus would do to them, that Jesus would maybe cast out some of the demons in their lives, some of the false gods in their lives. They were probably afraid of that. They're probably also a little upset, like 2,000 pigs is a lot of money. So they're probably like, man, that, that was a lot of money, and I'm a little, I don't, I don't want to lose more money. We don't know why they, they made Jesus leave, but Jesus respected their request. He got back in the boat and he left. He went across the sea for one crazy demon-possessed man. Why did he do it? Why would he go through all the trouble? Was it all about this one man? You know what's crazy is this. Jesus had a bigger picture. When Jesus saved you, I just want to say this in closing. And, uh, when Jesus saved you, he wasn't just saving you. He wants to save everyone attached to you. When Jesus reached you, it wasn't about just reaching you. It was about reaching your family. It was about reaching your friends. It was about reaching your kids. It was about reaching everyone attached to you. And so Jesus, although he came for one man, he actually wasn't there for one man alone. He was there for all ten cities. Because what do we learn about that one man? We learn that he, 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 he got this commission from Jesus. Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and that he's had mercy on you. And the, the man left proclaiming to the ten cities what Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The demoniac, the insane man that everyone wrote off became the first missionary to the Gentiles. The first one. He went home and shared Jesus with his friends. He went home and shared his deliverance with his family. He went and shared his deliverance with the first city, the second city, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, seventh, all ten cities, proclaiming Jesus' deliverance. Are you proclaiming Jesus' deliverance with your family, with your community? Are you assisting in proclaiming his deliverance across the world? This man had a mission. And so in closing, I have three questions for you this morning. And the first is this. How easily can you spot the lies? This passage should help us process, man, God, am I, am I, can I see the lies or am I, am I just so lost that I don't know what's up or down or right or wrong? Can I spot the lies? Think of where's Waldo. Can you see the lie? Can you see the truth? The only way to spot the lies is to open up your Bible. The only way to, to get good at seeing what's right and wrong, good and bad, is to, to spend regular time in the Word, in prayer, uh, memorizing Scripture. How did Jesus fight back Satan? You guys remember in the, in the wilderness? He fought back temptation with what? With Scripture. Can you spot the lies? Number two, how are you actively expelling the pigs? This guy is not the only one with darkness in his life. Some of our darkness is obvious. Some of our darkness is subtle. The cracks in the armor, the things that we cover up. Jesus invites you to lay the darkness at his feet. The darkness must bow in the presence of Jesus. If you want help, you want hope, you want healing, you want joy, you want deliverance, 
I'm going to invite you guys every week, every week I'm going to invite you to come honestly, authentically before the Lord and lay those things at his feet, big or small, whatever it is. Because until you are delivered, until the pigs have been expelled, you're you're never going to grow. You're never going to heal. How are you actively expelling the pigs? And finally, the last question for you this morning is this. Where are you sharing your story of deliverance? Jesus gave you a story of deliverance for a reason. He saved you for a reason. He didn't save you just so that you could be comfortable and and know with, with certainty that you have salvation and live in a little bubble and just say, God, thank you every day that I'm saved and, and not care about anybody else. He saved you because he wants to reach everybody around you. And to reach everybody around you, he's calling on you to share your story of deliverance. If you've been delivered, you have a story. A story of how once you were blind, but now you see. Once you were lost, but now you've been found. Once you were in darkness, but now you've seen the light. And so I want to encourage you, church. Share your story of deliverance. Open your mouth for Jesus. We live in a crazy time where people are wondering what the truth is. They're wondering where the truth can be found. My hope and prayer is that we fill this place up. Not because... We care just about numbers. We, we, the only reason we care about numbers is because every number represents a person. We want to see people hear the truth, respond to the truth. That takes all of us. That takes me knocking on my neighbor's door, sharing Jesus with them. That takes you knocking on your neighbor's door, sharing Jesus with them. And whether they come to this church or not, I actually don't really care. As long as they hear about Jesus, they could go to Koinonia, they could go to Presbyterian, they could go to whatever church. I don't really care where they end up going, but what I do care about is people hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And he wants us to proclaim that good news. So I encourage you, share your story of deliverance because Jesus' grace delivers. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for today. Thank you for the people in this room. I pray that we would see your fruit in our lives that we'd surrender to you in in areas that even we're afraid of and that you would just do big things, not only in us, but through us if we reach the world for you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey church, I hope you guys have a great Sunday. I'll be here for prayer. Uh, We'll see you next week. Hope you got a donut this morning. If you didn't, we'll try to do that again in the future. Love you guys. Love to pray with you if you need it. God bless.